We'll see. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read starting in verse number 11 down to verse number 17, um, and then we'll have a word of prayer and jump into it together. Uh, Just to catch us up, God had told Jonah uh, to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. He went uh, to Tarshish to to flee from the presence of the Lord. He boarded a ship. Uh, As he was sleeping in the ship, a great storm came, and that's kind of where we left off last week. They had woken Jonah up and said, Jonah, what's the meaning of the storm, Uh, and who are you, and why are you here, and what have you done to us? And Jonah explains to them who he was, um, and then that's where we pick up the story this evening. And so in verse number 11, the text continues and says this, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took Jonah up and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. God, we thank you this evening for the time again that we can gather uh, to study your word together. And I pray that as we continue looking at this real story about a real man who was a servant of the one true God, and we see that he ran from you. We see that his desire was to go against your will. God, you had a way of, of bringing him back, and I pray that we would understand that tonight, that everything that takes place in the story of Jonah is, is really pointing to the mercy that you have towards us. God, I pray as we think through Jonah's life, as we think through the scenario that he found himself in, that we would be honest about ourselves before you, God, that if there's an area in our lives where we're not doing what we should be doing, God, that we would abandon that and forsake that and that we would follow hard after you. We thank you, God, again for your word. We thank you that it is alive, that it still works in our hearts. We pray that you'd use it in our lives tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The title tonight, if you take notes, is Getting Jonah Back, and we'll kind of get to that in the end of the, our time together tonight, um, and the, the theme of the book that we have uh, given it as a label is a story worth considering. And so as we saw last time we left Jonah off, he had confessed who he was, where he was from, he confessed this idea that he was a servant of the Lord, and in fact he was, he was running from God. Uh, Jonah admits that he was a follower of the one true God who made the sea and the dry land and, and now Jonah found himself in the middle of this mess with these sailors on this boat in the middle, middle of a horrific storm, and the sailors were trying to beat it, and they couldn't. I think this reminds us of a reality that resisting God leads to difficulty in our lives. Will God ever be beaten? Like, will we ever beat God? No. And sometimes we play that game in our minds thinking, well, I can pull one over on God, or I can get this past God. But Jonah is a clear example of that, that we can never pull anything past God. Now, does sometimes God let us wander into our sin? He certainly does. 
but he also always allows us to feel the, the weight of our sin to some degree, not the full weight of it, but he allows us to feel the weight of our sin in order to draw, to draw us back. And so while Jonah thought he was going to get away from God, the reality is he never left God's hand. He never left God's sight. He never left God's control. And so as Jonah was on this boat and as he was having a conversation with these sailors, they're, they're trying to figure out what they needed to do. What, how could they calm the storm? How could they appease his God since all their prayers uh, did nothing as they prayed them to their God? And Jonah began being obvi- or, or honest. And as he was honest, I think God began to reveal to Jonah the depths of how far he had run. You think it struck Jonah in any way when he said he was a, a servant of God, a prophet of God? You think he paused in his mind, even for just a moment, and said, now this, this doesn't make sense. What I've just said and how I'm living are two completely different ideas. They're, they're two completely opposing ideas. To say that I'm a prophet of the Lord, I'm a servant of the Lord, and then to be running away from God, this must make me look foolish in the presence of these men. But at the very same time, it was making Jonah's God look very powerful in the presence of these men. Because Jonah was saying what? The storm is here because of me. Because I ran away, because I disobeyed, because I rejected God's call, God has sent this storm, and that just proves a little bit of of how much power he has. And so as Jonah began to talk through this, I think things began to click in some way in his mind that that the storm obviously was because of his decision to run from God, that God was working in this situation, even in a way that was very difficult, and that God was going to have the last word, and God always has the last word. He always does. And we can't forget that. And And I think we can understand that in the graciousness that it's meant to come with, right? God always has the last word. And don't we want God to have the last word? I think we do. And so as Jonah was running from God, he was coming, becoming aware of, of what he was doing. He made it a rash decision that he really didn't think through, but now he's thinking through it. And tonight, as we go through this text, we're going to see the mercy of God become a greater reality in the mind of Jonah. Jonah likely did not want to die, right? He, he didn't, when God said, I want to send you to Nineveh, he didn't just say, well, I'm going to take my life. What did he do? He ran away. He didn't want to die, but Jonah in this moment also knew that what he did deserved a consequence. What he did deserved a punishment. And so he was willing to go to great lengths to, to in some ways, appease or apologize to God for what he had done and especially for what he had done to these men as he got them in such a a difficult predicament. Some things I want to think through tonight as we go through this text. The first one is, the lost world is full of questions, and I want to ask us, do we have the right answers? It doesn't take long to get into a conversation with somebody who is not um, a believer in Jesus Christ, who does not believe in the one true God, and you, you realize that they have questions, and they actually have really good questions. Because isn't the world confusing? If you were without Christ and without God in this world, you would be hopeless, and you would be full of questions too. And what would you do? You'd try to satisfy those questions with, with um, answers that you could figure out on your own. And so the world has good questions. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the right answers? Well, we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God. So in completion, yes, we do have the right answers, but do we know the right answers? The second thing I want us to think through, and this kind of piggybacks on last week, uh, are we willing to accept the depths of our sinfulness and the impact it has on others? 
I think that's one thing that struck Jonah in this moment is that he was realizing the weight of his own sin. He was feeling it in this moment that, man, these guys are petrified and they're fearing for their life and they're throwing away their cargo, not because of what they have done, but because of what I have done. He was feeling the, the weight of the situation that he put these men in as he stood before a holy and righteous and just God, and it was having an impact on those around him. The third thing I want us to think through is what in our lives is causing men to see the truth of who God is? And this can go two directions. If, if we walk in accordance to God's word, God says he's going to bless us, right? He's going to pour out blessings that we can't even understand. And that in and of itself is a way for men to see who our God is in our lives. Now, Jonah did the exact opposite, right? He ran from God, and what did it cause these sailors to see? The truth of who God was. Because Jonah made them aware that he was a servant of God, then they were realizing in this moment, and as we're going to see through this chapter, that his God was powerful, that his God was real, that his God was able. And the fourth thing I want us to think through tonight is, how does God provide for us in our desperate situations, and do we actually see the things that he gives us is good. How many of you want to end up in the belly of a whale? How many of you, if you were sinking in the ocean, would be thankful for the belly of the whale that you ended up in? It's all about perspective, right? In this moment, we would not choose to be in the belly of a fish. But if I'm drowning and I had no hope to see a giant fish come along and swallow me up that I could survive in for three days, which was a miracle in and of itself, that's a blessing and a gift of God. It's a sign of his mercy towards Jonah. And so how, how has God provided for us in our desperate situations? We've all been there, and, and do we recognize what he's done for us? And so there's some good insights in these seven verses uh, that I hope will be a help to us. And so as we picture Jonah, the storm is raging, the sailors are screaming, Jonah is wiping the sleep from his eyes as he's answering these questions, and this is where we pick up in verse number 11. And they said to him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us. Jonah, the storm is raging. You have just admitted that this storm is here because of you. We've prayed to our gods. We have done everything that we know to do to get the storm to be calm. We've thrown the cargo off the boat so, so that we could try to get it to land, and nothing has helped the situation. So Jonah, what shall we do unto you that the sea will be calm for us? These sailors, though they were sailors, they weren't dumb men, right? Jonah had said, it's because of me that the storm is here. It's my God that's caused the storm to come. And so when they put two and two together, they're saying, okay, if you're the cause, then, then we need to do something to you so that this storm will cease from raging so we can get the boat back to dry land. They weren't hostile towards Jonah. And I think that speaks a lot of these men. Because in our minds, if somebody gets us in a bad situation, what is our first thought? I'm going to get you back, Right? You're going to get what's coming to you. And these guys were, I don't think when they asked the question, what shall we do to you? I don't think they're, they're speaking in a, a hostile manner towards Jonah. I think it's more of just a question. So what do we do to appease the situation? What do we do to resolve the, the situation that we found ourselves in? They, they said the sea is, is raging unlike a sea that we've ever seen before. And so what can we do to get this storm to calm down? As we understand the, the sailors and the predicament they were in, they were really, and I think all of us would do this, they were trying to take things in their own hands, right? They, Jonah had admitted that he was a servant of, of God, that he was a Hebrew, that he was a prophet of God. 
And yet in their minds, they were still saying, okay, so what do we need to do to fix the problem? What do we need to do to you to fix the problem? And they were seeking what would bring rest in this situation that was filled with unrest. Remember, as they cast lots a few verses ago, where did all signs point? To Jonah. It was like the spotlight shone down on him from heaven saying, it's Jonah. He's the guy. He's the reason you're here. And so these men were asking a very genuine question, what do we need to do to resolve the situation that we're in in this present time? Jonah, even though it's your fault, what do we need to do to make amends with your God? What do we need to do to, to bring rest to the situation that seems hopeless in this moment? And it's interesting that as their gods had failed them, they were still trying to take things into their own hands to bring peace to the storm. As you read verse 11 and as you place yourself in the shoes of the sailors, uh, how would you be feeling in this moment? What's that? Somebody said something. Desperate, yeah. Desperate. It seems like a hopeless situation, right? Somebody else. Angry. I think instead of saying, what shall we do to you, Jonah? We would be saying, this is what I'm going to do to you, Jonah, right? If we're honest with our emotions, that's, that's how we'd be feeling. Anybody else? Anxious? I, I can't get out of this, right? <laughs> I've tried running and I've tried hiding and God found me. So there's, there's no hope for me. And uh, these, I think these sailors were feeling the weight of it because they did all they knew to do and the situation wasn't any better. And doesn't it remind you of, of the New Testament when the disciples were on the sea in the storm and they tried to bring it to shore and they couldn't? And it's just a reminder that, that when God is making a point, guess what? God's going to make his point. And we're not going to sway his mind. We're not going to convince him otherwise. God's going to make his point. And so these sailors felt a little bit desperate in this situation. Any other thoughts on verse 11? It's a little bit slow getting into it, but we'll... And God, God used them to make sure that this whole thing worked out. Yeah. He's going to Nineveh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I like that thought that God, God was using these men who didn't believe in him to bring about his will in the life of Jonah. And we see that in the New Testament with Christ, right? As Peter preaches on Pentecost, what does he say? This Jesus whom you crucified, now just so you know, sidebar, God had already planned all this from before the foundation of the world, but he used you to crucify his son to bring about salvation. And I think that's an excellent point that, that we can see in the book of Jonah that God was using even these, uh, these unbelieving men to do his work to get Jonah to where he wanted Jonah to be. And so don't discount or discredit who God is using in your life to bring about sanctification in the way that he wants it to come. Anybody else? Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to answer to somebody for that, right? When they got to shore, they're like, where's your cargo? And it's like, well, you'll never believe it. <laughs> and you're right, they probably didn't believe it. I, I kind of wonder, and I'll get to this later, but like, I always picture, and I know this isn't accurate, so just enjoy my imagination for a little bit. But when, when they threw Jonah overboard, I picture like Free Willy 
coming up out of the water and, and opening his mouth and Jonah landing in there. And these men are like, did you see that, right? I, I know that's not how it played out, but I think it would be really cool if it did. Um, yeah, we won't go down that road any further, but yeah, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that, you know. Uh, I think it would be cool if God did it that way. This is also cool if, if it didn't happen that way, but uh, I thought that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So verse number 12, continuing on, as, as they asked this question, what can we do to make the calm storm? And Jonah said, take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. This is interesting. Um, and there's, there's a couple different lines of thought that we could think through. Did Jonah really know that the sea would be calm if they threw him into the water? No. How would Jonah have known that? Um, I, I think in, in one line of thinking, Jonah was thinking, okay, I know the storm is here because of me, and to appease God, a sacrifice needs to be given so that these men can be saved, pointing to who, ultimately? Jesus Christ, and the, the great picture that Jonah is of him. But on the other hand... Was Jonah just thinking to himself, man, this is a hopeless situation, and for me, there's one way out of this. They can throw me overboard, and at least they don't have to see me anymore, and I'm kind of out of my misery. Um, we don't know exactly how Jonah got the information he got, but it was true information. If, if, God, if they had thrown him overboard, or when they threw him overboard, we know that the sea stopped raging. And so I th maybe, maybe God spoke to Jonah in this moment and said, Jonah, this is the answer to the problem. They have to throw you overboard. If that's the case, Jonah, though he was running from God, was still in tune enough with God to hear and listen and be obedient. If it wasn't the case, Jonah just came up with a great escape plan for himself, right? Just throw me overboard and everything's going to be calm. But regardless, Jonah was willing to put his life on the line because he's the one who got these men in this situation. He says, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. One thing I read was this, that Jonah wasn't going to jump into the sea himself uh, because that would have been committing suicide. He wasn't going to take his own life, but he understood that for what he had done, his life deserved to be taken um, because these men's lives were on the line. And so he was willing to have them throw him in, but he wasn't willing to take his own life. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but, but regardless of, of how all this came to be, uh, Jonah at least had some insight that what he had done was sinful and wrong, that what he had done was against God. And so he was thinking in this moment that the best thing to happen right now is for my life to be taken from me so that these men's life, lives can be spared. And again, that's a hard thing to say. Imagine being Jonah on that boat as it's rocking back and forth and the, the waves are crashing into the boat and the cargo is moving back and forth. And he's saying, guys, the only thing that you can do to, to, to rid yourselves of this trial is by throwing me overboard. Those would be hard words to say. Regardless of what his thought process was, they would be hard words to say, and yet Jonah was willing to say them, and he was pointing them in the right direction as he thought about the situation they were in, why they were in that situation, and, and the reason they were in that situation was because of God's hand causing the storm to come. Any thoughts on verse 12? Sure. 
Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I thought through that in my own mind as well, and I was kind of hoping there was another scenario that I could come across where, where the, the person offered their life up to appease the wrath of God. And outside of Christ, there's not one, right? And, and that Christ gave his life for those. We know Christ didn't sin to calm the storm, but it ultimately is a picture that Christ gave his life so that the mercy of God could touch the other people. Um, but I, I don't know if I could say 100% that Jonah had enough to, to study and understand that this was the solution for the problem. I tend to think, and, and you can call me out if you think I'm wrong, but I tend to think that in some way God spoke to Jonah in that moment. As a prophet of God, I, I think there was still enough of a relationship that God said, Jonah, this is, this is the only answer to the problem. And I think it shows the sensitivity of Jonah's heart in this moment to again listen to God even though his heart wasn't fully there. And doesn't God do that with us? Like when we're in that sinful moment of wandering away from God, does that still small voice ever speak to you? And you're like, man, it's not what I want, but it is what's best. And so whether he, he knew enough from previous things that had happened in the lives of other prophets or even in his own life, or if God spoke to him in that moment, he was still sensitive to it. And I think that's what it's ultimately speaking to, that he was sensitive to the leading of God in his life, um, if that's even where his, his mindset was. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Dave? Is it all possible that Noah being a type of the Lord, that this was the God? Yeah. Yeah, I most definitely think it is. I, that's why I mentioned it a little bit ago, that I, you know, ultimately... This is a picture of Christ going to the cross, the, the life of one saved the life of many, right? And that's what takes place here. And I, none of these things can draw a perfect picture, but the pictures all point, right? They all point to who their ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment is of those things, who is Christ. And so I think that is valid as well. I don't think so. Nope. I don't, I don't think there's enough evidence to say that he did die. I think he had a real prayer in the belly of the fish, um, and he prayed to a real God. And so I think God allowed him to experience what Christ was going to experience in some way, right? Like separation from everything in that moment. What do we tell our kids when they've done something wrong? Go think about it. And I think this was a go think about it moment for Jonah where he he sat in the belly of a fish, and, and people will say, well, how could, a, how could a man survive in the belly of a fish? God can do whatever God wants to do, right? God, God can allow Jonah to sit in misery for three days and three nights to feel the weight of what he had done. He was already feeling the weight, um, but he, he felt it in a greater way. And so I, some would say, you know, because Christ died, therefore Jonah had to die. I, I think that, again, is taking the picture too far. Jesus, the, the picture of, of Jesus in Jonah is that Jonah was concealed someplace for three days and three nights, and then he was released free. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the earth for three days and three nights. It doesn't really, even Christ doesn't reference the idea of, of a death for Jonah, just references this idea of being concealed someplace for three days and three nights. But good, good thought, good question. We have a third 
third remark? Okay, just two. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Any thoughts? And if you disagree with me, if Jonah died, it's one of those things doesn't really matter, right? It's, in the end, we know that Jesus died and Jesus rose again, and therefore we have hope. We don't have hope in Jonah. All right, moving on to verse 13. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Verse 13, the men rode hard. Jonah said, guys, the only way out of this scenario is for you to throw me overboard. And what is the next thing the men do? The men rode hard, right? right? And doesn't that speak volumes of these men once again? Like, you got us into this mess, Jonah, but we're willing to put every effort forth to get us, including you, out of this mess. They, they knew what it was like to row on rough seas, and they were willing to put in the effort but as I said a moment ago, when we fight against God, it's a losing battle. They, they could have rowed for days and days and days on end, and I picture that boat staying in one spot, right? If you've ever been out in a rowboat or in a kayak and you're fighting the current, um, you try to row up, it's a losing battle. When we were in uh, London, they had those moving sidewalks, and I always like to walk backwards on those things. You guys should really go on a missions trip with me. It's a lot of fun. Um, walk backwards on those things or to go, try to go up the down escalators, right? You just kind of stay in one spot, and that's what these men were experiencing. They, they were rowing for all they were worth, and yet there they were stuck in the same spot. They couldn't bring it to shore because the, the, the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Now, why, why did the sea rot? Why was the sea raging, and why was the sea contrary to them? Could they really not row against it because the storm was great? Or could they not row against it because God was great? God was saying, you're not going to go anywhere. I've got you where I want you, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. You're not moving from this place until you begin to understand my love and my mercy and my grace and, and that my desires and plans will come to be. And what, a, what, what a, a learning experience it is for us because have you ever felt stuck in your Christian life when you've been walking against God? <laughs> Why are you stuck? Well, first off, because you're walking against God. Secondly, because God's not going to let you get pro or gain progress or gain traction unless he wants you to gain traction. So you may be spinning your wheels, and, and there's a reason that you're spinning your wheels, and that's what Jonah was experiencing with these men in this moment. So the men rode hard. Jonah said, you need to throw me overboard. I put you in harm's way, harm's way willingly. I've caused this storm to come upon you. And the men said, but we're going to do our best. Uh, to get you to shore, to get us to shore, and to beat this storm. But they couldn't do it. There was nothing they could do because the storm was from God. God sent a storm. And I think that's important to remember through the book of Jonah, that God was the one who was sending these things into the life of Jonah to get Jonah back to where he wanted him to be. Any thoughts on verse 13? Kevin. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, I like that thought. I like it how it, it draws us to the reality that, like you're saying, these men had more integrity than Jonah did, right? He knew going onto that boat when he paid the fare and boarded the boat that probably something was going to come of this that he, he didn't want to experience and that he shouldn't have dragged others into, and yet he did it willingly. And when they were experiencing it, Jonah's just like, throw me overboard. And they're like, no, we're going to give it one last effort, right? We're going to do everything we can to spare your life. And, and they were gracious towards Jonah, even though Jonah wasn't gracious towards them in the beginning. Um, and I, I think it's sad that the unbelievers or the non-believers valued life more than Jonah valued life, right? Because he wasn't going to go to Nineveh and he didn't value the life of the Ninevites, but these men valued Jonah's life who they didn't know. Josh. God, yeah. No, that's great. I like that thought. Somebody else? All right, moving on to verses 14 and 15. It says, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took Jonah up and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. So Jonah says, guys, you've got to cast me overboard. The men said, we're not going to do it. We're going to at least try one more time to get you to dry land, and they couldn't do it. And when they realized they were fighting a losing battle, they finally gave in to God. And I think it goes into what Evan and Josh were just saying, that sometimes it takes us some time to realize we're fighting a losing battle, right? That we're rowing hard through our own efforts, through our own strength, and yet God is, is allowing what he's allowed into our lives for a reason and for a purpose. And so we just have to... to abandon ourselves to him recklessly abandon ourselves to him and say god if this is what you want then this is what we're going to do and i love that that before they did it who did they cry out to jonah's god what a testimony right like jonah's unfaithfulness and jonah's failing and and jonah's running away from god and jonah's lack of concern for other people led to these men understanding hey there is a god who is powerful and who is causing these things. And in some way, they turn to him in this moment. They begin to cry to him. And I, and I think they recognize that Jonah's God was the God who demanded answers. They were demanding answers of Jonah earlier. Where are you from? Where are you going? Why are you here? How'd you get here? And what are you supposed to be doing? And as they cry out to God, they're, they're pleading with God. In verse number 14, they say this, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. We're begging you, God. Please, God, we're begging you. We need you. And what do they say? Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. They didn't want to be held accountable for what? For throwing him overboard. They didn't want to be held accountable for taking another man's life. And, and again, there's such a parallel here to, to Jonah's own life and what God had called Jonah to do. Jonah's basically saying, hey, I'll be guilty of their blood. 
right? I'm not going to go preach to them because I want them to die. And these guys are saying, God, please don't put Jonah's blood on our account. We're just doing what Jonah has told us to do. And, and again, I think Jonah's <laughs> lack of faith was speaking volumes to these men about the one true God. Jonah's, Jonah's running away from God was causing these men to think that, hey, there is a God to answer to. And so they began to pray to him in this moment. And, and they recognize something at the end of this verse. They say this, O Lord, has, has done as it pleased thee. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. What did, what did they understand about Jonah's God? That Jonah's God was going to do what Jonah's God wanted to do. They didn't know much, but they knew he was able to cause a storm to rage. Uh, they knew that, that Jonah was a prophet of God who had spoken for God in times past, and they knew God's will was going to be accomplished in this moment. And so they prayed a prayer. I don't think this is one of those, like, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. Like, I think they were truly seeking the face of God. God, this is the only answer we have, and your prophet is the one who gave it to us. And so before they throw Jonah overboard, they pray this prayer. And then in verse 15, it says, they took Jonah up and cast him forth into the sea. And what did the sailors see happen? The sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine being there after Free Willy jumps through the sky and captures Jonah in his mouth? Um, they, they experienced a miracle, but it came at a cost, right? I, I'm sure there were parts of them that were saying, wow, did you see that the moment he hit the water, the storm stopped its raging? But then they're also thinking in their minds, I'm sure at this point, that we just watched a man lose his life. That's why I tend to think that the whale didn't fly up out of the water and capture him. Because in their minds, Jonah is now sinking to the bottom of the sea. He's in a hopeless situation. Um, maybe they were thinking Jonah was going to swim to shore because if the sea had stopped raging, he could have had a better chance of making it to dry land. But regardless, they know that they just threw a man into the sea. And this is what this man told them to do and he told them that if they did it, the sea would, would stop its raging. And that's exactly what happened in this moment. They, they, they saw all of these things come to be as Jonah had described that they would be. And what is so interesting about this is that as a prophet, Jonah had witnessed this before. But he had never been the point of the prophecy. And in this moment, he was. If you throw me overboard, the sea is going to calm. And as Jonah was thrown overboard, that's exactly what happened. And in some ways, these men began to turn to the Lord, as we're going to see in verse number 16. But before we get there, any thoughts on verses 14 and 15? Yes, Gabe. Yeah. 
Yeah, can you imagine being these sailors when you got back to, to shore? Like I said, they'd have to give an account for the cargo that was lost. They have to give an account for the animals that they're going to sacrifice in a few minutes. But imagine, they didn't care at that point. Like, they just witnessed something incredible, and, and they were going to let everybody know whether they believed them or not. Josh. Yeah, it would be interesting to, to know if they ever caught up with Jonah again, right? Like, that, that would be a really great story. <laughs> if, uh, it'd be much better if the last word in Jonah was not cattle, right? Like, it'd be a, a greater story if it was like, I shouldn't say that because that's like saying God didn't write a good story. But um, in our minds, it would be a greater story if it's like in the end, Jonah met up with the sailors again and they sat down and had fish and chips and Jonah told them, the rest of the details, and they all worship God together. Um, but as Josh said, these men walked away from this. They witnessed a miracle. They witnessed the truth of who God was and what God was able to do. But at the very same time, they still lived in their, in their minds with this idea that they threw a man overboard. And they probably carried that around with them for the rest of their days. And that has an effect on you, I would assume. I've never, yeah, I've never thrown anybody overboard. Um, had to think back to my childhood, but... I'm good. Evan, then Justin. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I like that thought, and I, I do think it's one of those things that these men carried with them, like, we don't understand it, right? But we know. It's kind of like the blind man, um, who I think it was the blind man, and the, the religious crowd is like, why is he, uh, they kick his parents out of the temple, they're upset at his parents, and they question the blind man, he's like, I don't know, all I know is I was blind, and now I see, right? That's, that's the only answer I can give you. And these men, it's kind of the same. We don't know really, really know what happened. We just had this guy in our boat. We had a storm. He told us to throw him overboard, so we threw him over, and the waves stopped. I can't explain it any more than that other than God is in control, right? And God can do great things uh, in the middle of chaos. So I like that example, Evan. That's great. Justin, you had your hand up. 
Yeah, I think it speaks to the religiousness of these men in understanding moral principles of a life for a life, right? Um, that certainly was an Old Testament principle, not just in, in uh, Israelite culture, but in other cultures, that a life demands a life. And they probably in some ways were thinking, man, I hope nobody saw this guy get on our boat because he's not getting off and we don't want to have to answer for this. And so maybe it was a... a well-kept secret amongst those guys. Maybe they never shared it with anybody else because it was a traumatic story. Um, but it, there was something in their hearts and minds saying, we don't want to answer for this man for what he has done. And it goes to show that Christ was the exact opposite, right? That I will answer for these men, um, even though I've done nothing. Great parallels. All right, moving on to verse number 16. Uh, the, the story continues, and it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. What was the sacrifice? They don't really know, but they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Most believe it was some animal that they had on their boat that they were transporting from point A to point B. And how did they perform that sacrifice? Was it a burnt sacrifice? Was a, uh, uh, did they build a fire on the boat? I don't know. Uh, we don't know what the details are. But they did recognize something, that because of what they just experienced, they understood that the God who just did this deserve to be honored in some way. And so they offered a sacrifice, and then the Bible says they vowed vows. What are the vows that they vowed? Who knows, right? We, we don't know, but they, they made promises to Jonah's God. They vowed vows to Jonah's God because of what they experienced Jonah's God do in that moment. And I, I do think um, that it speaks of these men and their, their understanding, or at least a beginning of the understanding of who God was. This is a good thing. Verse 16 is a really good thing because these men were turning from the darkness to the light. It does not say they vowed vows and sacrificed to their gods, right? It's to the God. They recognized in, in this moment, hey, there's something different about this God. And, and as we think about the God of the Bible, um, if we lump him together as one of many gods, then we're not going to know who to pray to for what, who to worship for what, uh, who to go to in our times of need. But if we recognize there's one God, and this one God um, is in control of all things, then we, like these men, should, should make sacrifices to him. Not literal sacrifices. I'm not asking you to go kill a sheep tonight and burn it on the altar. But, but to think that he is the one true God who is in control, and these sacrifices and these vows, in some ways, were pointing to some form of worship that they were saying, hey, we're bowing down before this God, Jonah's God, who just caused these great things to take place, who caused these things to happen. And I think, again, in spite of Jonah, this still speaks to the testimony of who he said he was serving. In spite of his sinfulness, these men still learned something about his God that changed their lives. And I think that's an incredible truth, as, as you guys have already said tonight, that God can use... Jonah in the position that he was and work things in a way that causes these men in the end to worship the one true God. And, and that's what our God does. As I said this morning in the baptisms, as, as uh, these guys all professed publicly their faith in Christ, they all came to faith in a different way. And what does that remind us? God doesn't need us. God's going to save who he's going to save. And, 
Does he want to use us? He most absolutely does. That's why he's called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But in his timing and in his way, he is going to save those who he is drawing to himself, regardless of if we're obedient or not. And I think, again, that, that plays out in this scenario here. And so as, as these guys made these sacrifice, sacrifices, as they, they vowed these vows, they didn't understand probably in the fullness what they were doing, but they understood enough to say, hey, this God is worthy of worshiping, and this God is wor- worthy of sacrificing too. Any thoughts on verse 16? Yes. Nope, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't God's plan, right? He wasn't just throwing Jonah overboard to get back at Jonah, but as we're going to see in a moment, he was throwing Jonah overboard to get Jonah back, right? To get him back to where he wanted him to be. And I think that's a beautiful picture. Anybody else? Yes, Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. they had a new perspective. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, I think that's great. Uh, that's a great truth. And I think what's interesting is if, if we saw these things playing out side by side, as these men were worshiping above the water, where was Jonah? He was entering the belly of the fish below the water. And so God was being praised in one place and God's mercy was being shown in another place and it's, it's just a reality of how, how God is able to do, again, multiple things. Um, I think it's John Piper that says God is always doing one million things, right? And we're only aware of three of them. It's, he's always working. He's always doing things that, that blow our minds and are beyond our comprehension. Um, and because of that, he's worthy to be praised. Anybody else on 16? All right, we'll go to 17. Actually, go to verse number 4. Verse number four says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. And then look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you ever wondered who was in control in Jonah chapter one, um, verse four and verse 17 bookend it for us, the Lord was in control. Jonah thought he was in control. He was running. Jonah thought he was in control. He was sleeping. Jonah thought he was in control, even in talking with the sailors. But God was ultimately always in control. And as God had sent the sea, we see that, or the storm to the sea, we see that now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This idea of Lord here, again, is Jehovah. He's the self-existent one. He's the one who has all things at his disposal. And isn't Jonah a great illustration of that? that he can send the wind and the rain and cause the waves to beat against the boat. And at the very same time, when that is done, God had already prepared a fish to come and swallow up Jonah. Our God is an awesome God. He is, he is a, a, abundantly above anything our minds can comprehend. And we think in such a narrow way towards our God. Even when we pray prayers, we think in such a narrow way, God, this is how it has to be. This is the only way it's going to work out. And God says, Really, there's a million ways I could work this out, and, but this is the one that I'm going to choose. Not the one that you're going to choose, but the one that I'm going to choose. And so Jonah is cast overboard. The sea 
calms, the winds cease, and the Lord had prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah, and there Jonah was. Because God was merciful, there Jonah was. Because God was gracious, there Jonah was. Because God was faithful, there Jonah was. Because God was long-suffering and patient and kind and gentle and, and every other positive descriptive word that you can think of. Because God is those things, Jonah ended up in the belly of the fish. You may say, well, it would have been much kinder of God if he had done this, that, or the other thing. Friend, get over yourself, right? <laughs> it's, it's beyond kindness that God allowed Jonah to be swallowed up by a fish in that moment that would then spit him up on dry land so that he could then go and serve God again. Jonah didn't deserve the fish, right? Jonah deserved to die in the water. To Jonah's own admission, throw me overboard. Jonah didn't know a fish was coming, but he knew that's what he deserved. And yet God doesn't give us what we deserve. He's gracious to us when we, even when we don't understand it. And so the Lord prepared a fish and swallowed up Jonah, and that's the end of Jonah chapter 1. As we mentioned, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and uh, in this time of uncertainty, Jonah was reminded again that God was in control and all of this points back to the reality that God is always working about his plan to bring forth the best outcome, not that we think is best, but that he thinks is best. I think it's, it's also amazing, um, as we think of this as a story to consider, that God will do unthinkable things to draw people to himself. <laughs> like, if, if you were to write a story about a man disobeying God, would you ever write about him being caught up in the belly of a fish. Like, our minds wouldn't even go there, right? We would have some alternative, some other, other ending, like pick your own ending storybook for kids. We could come up with a bunch of different things. But to, to have the, the sea calm and the, the fish swallow up Jonah in the same time frame, it just again speaks to the, the love of God towards Jonah, even in Jonah's sinfulness. And if you think it's crazy that God was willing to allow Jonah to be swallowed up by a fish and be in the fish's belly for three days and three nights and then vomited on dry land, how much crazier is it that God would send his son? God, we could think of a hundred other ways to save humanity, and God's like, nope, there's only one way. And as God is the one who writes the story. He writes the best story. And to see God sacrifice what was most precious to him so that we could be redeemed. Um, if that doesn't stop us dead in our tracks, <laughs> we got to stop and check our hearts, right? God is gracious. And I'm thankful that God doesn't or hasn't yet made us spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. I'm glad that Jesus came and took our punishment for sin so that we could be forgiven. And all of this is ultimately pointing to Christ. Any thoughts on verse number 17? <laughs> a lot of them are, are not quite as bad, but, you know, and they're very, a lot of times it's very exciting, you yeah. get some people look forward to, and people help you along your way, and then you get this sense that you're being told to do something that requires a big sacrifice yeah. or a huge change, and you're really not sure sometimes whether you're hearing this right, or, you know, you, you're not sure you want to hear it right, and, and sometimes people know it's a big sacrifice yeah. for you, so they 
change it like yeah. these men on the boat. They try to not make you have to do that. But you know, <laughs> and God is going to do whatever he has to do, you know, no matter how crazy to yeah. that Yeah. So. No, I like that. And it, it just speaks to the title that Jonah is given so many times, the book of Jonah, that God is the God of second chances, right? And in Jonah's life, we see it's not just second chances, but it's third chances and fourth chances. And that's the same in our lives as well. And sometimes we can feel defeated over the areas in our lives where we haven't walked perfectly. Friend, just stand up by the grace of God and remember that God is the God of second chances. And where you failed yesterday... Just start afresh today, and that's what God does for us time and time again in the little things and in the big things. Now, is, is there sometimes consequences that we have to pay for the sins that we commit on this earth in rejecting God's will for our lives? Yes, but praise God, they're not eternal consequences, right? If I rob a bank, I deserve to go to jail, but if I, you shouldn't rob a bank if you're a Christian, but like if you robbed a bank as a Christian, praise God, he hasn't withdrawn his salvation from, from you, you're still saved. It, it doesn't, we don't sin because God is gracious, but when we sin, God is gracious. And Jonah was experiencing that in this moment. Um, he was experiencing things that he never truly learned about God. He, he was upset that God was willing to be gracious towards the Ninevites, but at the very same time, he was experience, experiencing God's graciousness in his own life, and I pray that we would allow that to teach us lessons as we walk this broken world. Any thoughts on verse 17 or on Jonah 1 as a whole? Any? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I like that thought. I like that a lot. Leah. Yeah, that's great. It, it does speak volumes of God's ability, right? Somebody else before we, last one, before we close? Everyone's done. They want to go home. Go check the, the nursery for mice. See if we found any more down there. Um, but let's close tonight in a word of prayer. And I pray that as we leave, uh, we'll think about the God of grace that we've seen in Jonah chapter 1. God, again, we are thankful tonight uh, for how gracious you are. And I believe most of us in this room know this story fairly well. We could give the details, we could somewhat recite it from beginning to end. But God, I pray tonight that, that we would get lost in Jonah chapter 1, not lost in the details, um, not trying to figure out every word of every verse, but lost in the truths that we find within Jonah chapter 1, that you are a faithful and loving and merciful God. And God, though we often stray and we are often sinful and we're prone to wander, as the hymn says, God, you are a gracious God who desires not to get back at us, but to get us back. God, God, we thank you that, <laughs> that your love for us is great. We thank you that your grace, as we sung this morning, is greater than all of our sin. And that even in our wanderings, God, you still can and do use us. And I pray that we would submit to that even tonight. We thank you for your love. I pray that we would show your love to the world around us in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak. God, use us to influence our culture for your kingdom. Help us to be sensitive to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.